hello welcome to another episode of we us and ours it is your host charlotte from chicago here and today we have a slightly different conversation it's a little bit of a heavy topic but it it's one that needs to be spoken about we'll be talking with our friend charlene quint about abuse charlene is an attorney who's based in the chicagoland area who serves women and children who are survivors of domestic abuse and In this episode, we talk about identifying abuse, the stigmas around it, and ways to practically help those experiencing abuse. I have known Charlene most of my life, and I know that this conversation will help and encourage others, so let's lean in. I'm so excited to have you here. It is so great to just to see your your beautiful face. Mm -hmm. It has been way too long. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me. This is is really special to, to get to connect with you like this. Yeah, well, especially, I just find it so timely that we're connecting around the holidays because I remember distinctly doing Thanksgiving with you and your family one year. And I remember hanging out in your living room and watching football with the boys. And for me, that was something that was uh, so special because the holidays are always really challenging for me coming from a small family and the anniversary of my mom passing away right between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so for those few years after my dad and I always kind of felt a little bit lost of like, okay, where do we go for the holidays? And there were always a few people that would open up their homes to us and say, well, it's a full family thing, but you can come like you are welcome. And you were one of those families. So that is something that has really inspired me over the years and I was thinking about it recently so I find it only fitting to have you on as a guest on our podcast today. Well thank you for having me those are special memories um I've long had the the philosophy that um it's a it's a friendsgiving and a thanksgiving uh so I've always had an open table to to have people over that uh um might not have other family around because I was in that situation one time myself and uh, all alone and um, just was so grateful when a friend of mine reached out and said, come join my family for, for Thanksgiving. And so um, ever since then, I've said, you know what, we're, we're going to do the same thing. So I love that. And that's truly what, what I aspire to be eventually, because I'm 24 right now. I don't have a big house. Like I don't have my own space where I can say, invite people in, but that's a big goal of mine. And it's been inspired by people like yourself to say, yeah, this is, we're, we're opening it up and I, I love it. And that's one of my favorite things about you and your family. So I'm just so thankful for that. And I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit more. Cause like we said, it's been a while since we've seen each other. What have you been up to? And I know you just released a book, which is so exciting. And I cannot wait to hear about that. Right. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, things a lot have changed since we've, um, since we've last seen each other. I have released a book. Um, my uh, legal practice, I'm, a, I'm an attorney, as you know, and my legal practice now focuses on helping women get out of domestic abuse. And that's typically with, um, through the court proceedings of a divorce and orders of protection and parenting agreements and things like that. But I particularly focus on women who are, who are in abusive situations because I, I know how difficult that can be. Professionally, that's what I'm doing. I also have run a, a, and I continue to run a, a, some support groups. Um, some are faith-based support groups. Some are through a counseling center. So I lead support groups for women. And, um, and yes, I've, I've written a book um, called Overcoming the Narcissist, Sociopath, Psychopath, uh, and 
other domestic abusers. Um, as you can see, it's about uh, a four pound book. It's 576 pages. And it's really meant to give women, in, in particular women um, of faith, um, everything they need to know about identifying abuse and uh, getting themselves out of abuse safely and uh, healing from abuse and becoming the person that they've been designed to be. Wow, that's that's beautiful. And it's been incredible to see that that book come together through social media, seeing your updates on that. So how how many years, how long has this been coming together? Because uh, I know that it's not an easy task to write a book and especially one as, as sturdy and as helpful and full of resources as that. So how long has this journey been going for? Well, it's, it's been about a five-year journey, um, probably around in 2015. Uh, I felt the calling um, to, to write a book. Um, I had gone through a, a difficult situation myself and had come out on the other side and realized that um, there was nothing out there in terms of resources for women. There was, you know, lots of books out there, but nothing where all the information is in one place, um, supported by research and studies and science and testimonies and, and so on and so forth. So with the Lord's leading and the Holy Spirit prompting, um, we set out to, to write this book and um, little by little, it kept coming together. And I didn't have a publisher that I knew at the time. I just kept thinking, well, God's going, and he said, oh, I will find you a publisher and we'll open doors. So that's all I needed to keep going. And five years later, here, here we are in 2019, I went to a Christian writers conference um, sponsored by Proverbs 31 Ministries, met a publisher that was, that was interested in this book because she had had that background as, as well and um, really believed in this project. So we just, we just started. So about a year later uh, was when the book finally came out. That's, that's amazing. It's, I, I love hearing about the fact that you said, okay, well, I don't have all of the answers. I don't have all the green lights. I don't know how I'm going to get to this final goal, but this is what I feel like I'm being called to do. So I'm just going to take the next step and do it. And I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with too, is saying like, I know the big picture. I know what I want for my life 10 years down the line, but I don't know how to take that next step to, to get there. And it's, saying like, okay, well, even if you don't know the whole path, it's just taking that next step and getting started. And for you to start writing a book without a publisher, without having that background, it's just a real, a real testimony to say, if you feel like you're being called into something that you just need to, to run after it. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Um, God rarely calls us to stay still and do nothing. <laughs> he calls us to step out in faith and to make that, uh, to make those steps. And so I just, I just stepped out thinking, you know what, if, if he wants this done, there's nothing on this planet that's going to stop it from getting done. So we'll, we'll just go forward. And along the way, and, you know, it took longer than I anticipated, but along the way, because I was I was practicing law in this area, and because I was leading support groups in this area, that time that uh, you know this during this whole five years that that's been in process has um, allowed those stories to come into the book, and has, has allowed the uh, you know the expertise to come. And as new studies came out, they were included in the book. So you know God's timing is is always perfect, and so every time um, we had a, a, a new story or something that I could include that as as an example in the books so, so it has real life stories of 
the survivors of domestic abuse in, in there as well. Uh, it brings more of the clinical stuff to life so you can see, well, she did it, I can do it too. Absolutely. And speaking of timing, like I said, we're, we're filming this around the holidays, and I know that that can be a really challenging time for people that are experiencing abuse. So I'd love if you could just touch on that a little bit more about um, any advice that you'd have for people going through this around the holidays and such. Yes, yes. Abusers around the holidays just make a point of, you know, causing chaos around the holidays. So the first thing I would suggest is is just be calm and know that this is what is going to happen. They, it, I think the reason why they do this is because it, you know, the holidays aren't about them. It's, you know, here we are celebrating Christmas. That's somebody else's birthday. They're not the center of attention. Also, because, you know, being a bit vindictive, they want to cause chaos that will hurt the other side. So I just say be calm. Um, things will happen and just, you know, try not to lose your cool. Um, they're trying to bait you, so don't give them that. And um, when, the kids are coming over to your house. Whenever they come, just make them feel welcome. Um, as opposed to you're late, how could your dad do this? How could your mom do this? Just say, hey, we're glad you're here and make it a make it a happy time for them because we want those times with our loved ones um, to be to be filled with uh, you know happiness and joy, not uh, accusations or guilting or anything like that. So sometimes you have to roll with the punches, and maybe your day that you had planned to have them is not the day you're gonna get them because someone else decided that person was gonna take the day that was allotted to you um, in some agreement. Well, you know what, Again, roll with the punches. You can celebrate any day help on your stress. It'll help on the stress of the children. Um, those, are my, those are my best recommendations for the holidays because they'll, they'll create chaos and, and um, you've gotta be the, um, the healthy one and, and just stay calm. Absolutely. It's just the the holidays are always, always so chaotic and adding that extra element onto it is just a mess. I can't even imagine just the, I'm, I'm pretty laid back, pretty easygoing, and it takes a lot to get me worked up or anything, but I've been spending a lot of time at the post office recently, and man, the people around, and I'm like, do you treat the people in your life like this, the way that you treat the people at the post office? Because man, like, oof. I send in good energy that way. It's been, it's been chaotic. So I know that people are, are taking out these emotions on, on their family, on others. And it's just good to have conversations like this to be able to equip each other of how to handle situations like this and not let it get out of control. Well, that's right. And, and yes, those people are, are treating people and their family around them the same way. I call them equal opportunity abusers. So if you don't have if you don't have self-control even standing in the post office when people are watching you, then believe me, behind closed doors, it's even worse. You know, again, I call them equal opportunity abusers and they pick on people who are in service positions or or what have you and bully their way through life. So that's an unfortunate reality um, of of abusers. So yeah, and especially around the the holidays and with people gathering, typically, obviously, 2020 is a little bit weird because we're not getting together in huge groups and a lot of people aren't with family. And I know that that can be good because it's keeping some people away from what could be a triggering situation. But also, I know in the case of abusers, it's a way of keeping people secluded, which really, they're both... Uh, two horrible things, but 
I'm thankful that I've never had to go through something like this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we as outsiders, as third party people can be aware so we can recognize the signs of abuse of people around us, especially during the holidays. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the startling statistics are that 35% of women at some point in her life will be a victim of um, severe physical abuse or stalking or rape, which is an astounding number. So basically, <laughs> we all know someone who has been affected by domestic abuse. But in addition to that, 35% of women who are affected by you know, these more severe forms of physical abuse, nearly half have been uh, victims in their lifetime of coercive control or emotional and verbal abuse. So those numbers are, are just you know, astounding. So knowing that as you look around an audience, one in three basically are, have been a victim of um, the severe abuse at some point in their life and half have been uh, affected by emotional or verbal abuse or um, coercive control. We just need to be sensitive because there's a lot of walking wounded among us. In our, and those numbers are no different if you're in a church or a synagogue. They're the same as in, in uh, the general population. So, you know, one of the things that abusers like to do is isolate their targets. So when you see someone who has before a relationship been fairly social and been with, with people and now you don't ever get to see him or her, that's a you know, a sign that something's going on. If they were generally outgoing and friendly, and now they are withdrawn and, you know, seem depressed and sad, that, that's another indication that something is going on. Because over time, um, abusers wear on their victims to, to the point that, that a, a victims lose their self-esteem and their self-worth. They lose contact with people um, because the uh, abuser is trying to emotionally isolate them. Of course, you know, if, if you see bruises um, where you would not normally see them, that's that's one indication. But the smart abusers, they inflict physical abuse that don't see those bruises or some other kind of physical abuse, such as, you know, dropping someone off in a car and just leaving them miles from home or, you know, not taking them to a doctor's appointment when they need or not taking someone to the hospital when they need to have a baby or you need to go to the emergency room. These are different forms of physical abuse that, that you don't see the, the scars on. So just being being sensitive, kind of reading book between the lines when, when people are talking. Many times people are not going to talk about what's going on at home, and it just makes it even more difficult to, to know how to help when they, when they don't talk about it. Yeah, so you've talked about some of the, the warning signs and being able to recognize that. What would you say then the next steps would be for someone that's either um, observing it from the outside or actually going through it, it once you recognize like, oh, that this, this is abuse? If you're going through it, if you're the person that's, that's um, going through uh, this abuse and you recognize it as abuse, and let me just point out that there's so much so much that people don't actually recognize as abuse. A lot, of, a lot of times people think, well, if he's not hitting me, if, if he's not using a knife on me, um, then it's not abuse. But truly, you know, there's emotional abuse. And that's just as hurting, if not more hurting than, than physical abuse. Um, there's sexual abuse. There's uh, financial abuse. In 99% of cases, financial abuse occurs because she has no access. I say she because 90% of abusers are male, but she has no access to funds. 
the, the financial abuse seems to be in one direction or the other. If, if the abuser has, has, has wealth, then he typically cuts the spouse off from any access to funds. Um, on the other hand, sometimes the abuser doesn't just refuses to work and refuses to, to support his, his family and then puts the entire financial burden on, on the other spouse. So it can go both ways, but that happens in 99% of abusive relationships. Emotional abuse happens in 100% of abusive relationships because it's, that's where it starts. You know, it's just it's easy to to inflict and it's hard to prove, and and you you know you can backpedal and say, oh, I never said that or never did that. So, um, so that happens, you know, quite a bit. Physical abuse happens in um, the vast majority of relationships. That's up to 98%, um, and uh, Again, there's there's types of abuse that you don't you don't necessarily think is physical abuse because you don't have a bruise or you're not getting hit. But as I gave the examples, you know, abandoning someone out of a car or or leaving them or not helping them when they are in a vulnerable position, whether they're sick or or you know having a baby or what have you. So um, those are different types. Um, of course, there's sexual abuse and which happens repeatedly even in a um, in a marriage situation, and if, if she is a, a woman of faith or he's a, a man of faith, um, the other side will use spiritual abuse, which is you know using the scriptures and twisting them out of context to continue that relationship. You know, um, oftentimes they'll pull something out and say, "Well, you need to be more submissive," or "I'm the head of the household, so you need to submit to me," or "God hates divorce, so you have to stay," you know, in this in this marriage. And they're using scripture as a as a weapon, uh, as opposed to how it should be used, and they take it out of context. So there's a lot of different forms um, of abuse, and if you recognize that you're in one, I, I strongly recommend that you um, that that person goes to seek a help from uh, an organization who that specializes in domestic abuse. Almost every county has has a shelter or an organization, and they have counselors. They often provide free counseling to help people move on from this and and um, and deal with it. Of course, it's her decision whether she wants to stay or leave, but at least they can provide the tools. Um, if, if it qualifies, I always recommend people go immediately and get an order of protection um, because that's a, a legal remedy that, that will protect her and her children and the abuser. Um, she may want to consult with an attorney uh, to see what her, her rights are and, and to move forward and get out of this relationship if it's a marriage, particularly if they have kids, um, they're going to probably need the involvement of the courts. So um, those are those are my advice. But I'm going to say that not all counselors are an expertise in domestic abuse. Um, it is a subspecialty, and so it's really important to see someone that understands. Um, a lot of people will go see their pastors um, or, or rabbis. I will say overall, vast majority of pastors are not educated or equipped in this area to provide the proper counseling um, that, that's needed. This stuff is not taught in seminary, which is unfortunate because given the statistics, it will, almost every pastor will, will um, encounter it at some point. And, uh, but, you know, the, the people that are inflicting abuse is, are typically, well, we know from, from studies, they are typically have um, long-term um, permanent personality disorders. There's either narcissistic personality disorder or antisocial personality disorder from where we get the term psychopath and sociopath. Um, these are under the what the DSM calls 
cluster B personality disorders. They're long-term, they're dangerous, they're not treatable, they don't, they don't work well with counseling, and um, you know, there's, not, there's not a cure. So that's not what pastors typically have, have in, their, um, in their training. And so um, sometimes pastors get it and sometimes they don't. So if, if one is not being supportive, you, you, need to, you need to move on. Yeah, I would love to, to talk more about that because you and I, faith is very important to both of us. And what I've heard from a lot of people, especially a little bit more of the older generation, but it's kind of the idea of just like, praying things away or that the church is the one-stop shop and I I don't believe that and I I know that God has brought people that are in the public health like realm and people like yourself who have this expertise for a reason and that doesn't diminish your faith it just shows that God has given us other resources and especially what you're talking about with pastors not being the the almighty who can handle everything, but that doesn't make you quote unquote, a bad Christian. If you're going outside to seek help, that's outside of your spiritual field. Yeah, not, not at all. Um, and God has gifted us with, with different abilities, you know, with, with medical doctors and attorneys and other specialists and counselors and, uh, you know, all of these different uh, areas. And so it's important to um, to recognize that it's um, okay to to go to those people, and some some people of faith, some Christians even think, well, it's not it's not right to go to the court system. But even um, you know, the Book of Romans tells us, you know, God instituted these systems for our protection, and we need to be able to 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 use them. So uh, unsurprising to me, but maybe surprising to to Christians, is that what um, mental health counselors view as a healthy relationship is in fact the same thing that God views as a healthy relationship. We find the psychological principles are, are the same principles that are, are, are faith-based principles. So, you know, seeing um, a, a counselor who um, may not be termed uh, as a quote Christian counselor, what's healthy is still healthy, <laughs> whether you come from a, a, a Christian perspective or, or a psychological perspective, healthy is, it's healthy. Um, I've been had the privilege of talking to a group of mental health counselors that are in Chicago that is a Christian counseling center. So they combine both their faith in, in helping heal people as well as their education in psychological principles. So they're, they're not all that different. And, and it, it points out in the book how similar they are. We find that the, the passages from the Bible ring, um, ring true here these 2,000 years later because now we have science that supports, <laughs> that supports what, um, what the passages in the Bible say. Yeah, I think I think that's really important because a lot of people believe that it has to be one or the other. It has to be science or faith. But especially in fields like this, there's there's so much overlap that say no, this this is what what we believe both scientifically and faith based. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it, I I love when I read books by um, um, you know Christian scientists who 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 weave the two together and and. Um, you know, or just reading some of their um, some of their research studies, I can say, oh well, you know, goodness, you know, that was said in in Romans twelve, or you know, God points that out in Psalms one thirty nine, or wherever it comes from, and and we we just make those connections. That's uh, 
now that we have the ability um, with with our you know science and our studies, we are more and more proving these principles true. Absolutely. And one other thing that I wanted to hear your thoughts about too is I know that you mentioned a staggering amount of people that um, struggle with abuse are women, but that there is percentage that that are men that experience this and I know that there's a large stigma for for men to go seek help because they're supposed to be the strong tough ones the the man of the house so what in your professional experience and what would you have to say for a man who believes that he's being abused that is seeking help but doesn't know where to start well I Yes, there there are certainly um, men who are in that situation as well. And I would recommend the same thing, going to a domestic abuse organization or a shelter in their county and um, and speaking with someone who is, um, you know, is a specialist in that area, you know, in domestic abuse rather than just a general um, counselor or therapist. Women tend to use, if they're an abuser, they tend to use different techniques because they don't have the physical strength that men do. They often use emotional and verbal psychological abuse because they're physically stronger, you know, add, add physical abuse in there. So it, it can be just different, but it's still um, just as devastating, just as hurtful. I would give the same advice to men. Domestic violence shelters are becoming more aware this is um, this is something that men struggle with too, and so they are becoming um, more receptive to helping men. I know the one here in Lake County, um, a safe place, also um, treats um, men and helps them out. Now they're a shelter, so they don't put the men and the women in the same in the same area, but they will provide housing, you know, perhaps at a hotel or at a separate, separate facility um, for men who. Wow, that's that's great, and I. I want to know on a practical level how people that are on the outside are able to help because take take someone like myself, just an, an average Joe who doesn't have the, the background knowledge and um, professional skills like you do, but who might have a heart for helping and serving others that have been in this situation. So what are some practical ways that normal people are able to help support people that have dealt with abuse and are coming out of it? Sure. I think one of the ways is just to be mindful of the things that we say. Um, for example, one of the most common things when someone hears something, so they, they will say, well, if it was so bad, why did you stay for so long? <laughs> that's, that's incredibly hurtful for someone who has been in a, a for example, a long-term marriage and has tried to fulfill her vows um, for, for years. And really the question isn't, well, why did you stay for so long? But the question should be, why was he being so abusive? I mean, we put the blame on her or the victim versus him, uh, the, the abuser. So I would say that's just being mindful of our words. Uh, I'll tell you why she stayed for so long. One, she, you know, she had vows that she was trying to fulfill. Um, you know, the number one reason women don't leave is because of finances. Um, we know this because that's been proven in studies. He was not always abusive when they were dating. He was Mr. Wonderful, and that's part of the, the process. There's a certain phases that abusive relationships go through. They're, they're Mr. Charming at the beginning, and then after a certain event where he has gotten his emotional and financial 
a clause into her and she's emotionally invested and that's usually right around a marriage or they bought a house together or they've gone into business together somewhere where you know she's definitely invested that's when this abusive part starts and then at the end there's a like a discard phase they call it so she's hoping that it somehow goes back there's an you know there's also what's called the cycle of abuse after an explosion he may be he may offer an apology or promise to change. I'll go to counseling. I'll be better. And so there's this time of good behavior where he's on good behavior and she has hope that it might, it, it might work out. And she's wants to believe that it's going to work out. And, and then it just happens again. Um, you know, there's a time where she's walking on eggshells, just hoping an explosion doesn't happen. And then of course it happens again and, and we repeat the cycle. And so the cycle keeps her there because she has hope that, that you know, it's going to change eventually. And, you know, she doesn't want her kids to be without a father. And, you know, usually when people leave, it's, it's eventually because of the kids. Something has happened. There's an event that has happened that she cannot protect her kids anymore. And so mama bear comes out and, and, you know, she, she moves to protect the kids. So, you know, being mindful of that. Also, I think it's helpful to um, recognize that, it's very hard, particularly if you know someone, to, to believe that they can be a, 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 a different person behind closed doors. And that's why I think the problem with, with most churches are. Um, they see somebody and they just don't want to believe that Mr. Friendly and Outgoing is um, very different behind closed doors. But one of the characteristics of abusers is that they are very charismatic, particularly the narcissists are um, one person in front of others that they want to impress and somebody else behind closed doors. So, you know, just believing her is a good, is a good place to start <laughs> instead of trying to say, oh, well, she's exaggerating or she's lying or she's doing whatever. We can expect when a, when a woman leaves, there's a few things I tell them they can always expect. And so standing on the outside, looking in, you can expect these things too. You can expect him to be vindictive. You can expect him to play the, play the victim. Poor me, you know, after they've spent years of, of being a bully, then they, there's poor me, you know, I'm, I've got an order of protection against me and I can't see my kids. Poor me, you know, like that's, so they, so they'll play, or, or my wife left me for no reason, poor me. So they'll play the pity card. Um, you can be guaranteed that there'll be a smear and slander campaign. Absolutely. I'll put my money down anytime, you know, it's all her fault. And then they'll make up things during that smear and slander campaign. Oh, she, she abandoned me. She left me. She's having an affair. She's, uh, she's has mental illness. She took all my money. She took the kids' uh, college funds. You know this whole this whole collection of lies to make them feel to, to make themselves look better in front of others on the outside looking in. You're going to hear some of those, um, and he'll say the same thing to the kids because he's trying to alienate the children from the from the healthy parent that's leaving. Uh, so we can expect that. So as a person outside looking in you're going to not want to believe those lies and get some proof. You know, it's like, really, they took the college fund. Really? Hmm. That doesn't really sound like this friend that I've known for 25 years. That still is her. her friend. It doesn't really sound like my friend that has, that she would have a mental illness. Uh, you know, if you've known this person. So, you know, check the character of the person that's saying that as, as well as the person who's, who's, who's leaving. They will absolutely hide money you know, financially, that they don't want to pay child support, they don't want to pay marital support, they don't want to, they don't want to divide assets, so they're going to hide their assets. So she may be in, in need of 
of money, maybe even a place to stay. And they will use the court system to continue the abuse. And importantly, if he's gone to church, he will use the church to hide his, his abuse and to look, you know, to cloak it with a, a, a form of respectability. So he's going to be the number one volunteer at, at, the, at the church. He's going to, you know, buddy up to the pastor. He's going to, you know, join a Bible study and a men's group and a this and a that just so that everyone thinks he's the good guy and the woman that's leaving is, <laughs> is, is the crazy one. And so that's, that's another technique. So those type of things that we can expect. So if you're on the outside looking in, you know, use your discernment. For I sure. opened my house. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I know what it's like. I left with only an overnight bag and I went into hiding for two and a half years. Um, and nobody knew where I lived. Um, not a, not a soul. I didn't tell a friend. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell people at work. Um, because I knew he would contact every person and try to find me. And if nobody knew where I was, they wouldn't have to lie for me and they would be safe. So I tried to protect my group of friends and um, anybody else that knew me from knowing where I was. So now I know what it's like when you don't have a safe house to go to. Um, so I open my home for women and their children that need a place to stay and until they can get permanent housing. So I, we've had more than a dozen people just stay with us until the Lord finds a, a place for them to go. That's a permanent and it's been, a, it's always been a blessing, but it's also been a blessing for me because I, I get to see them heal. I get to see them watch the Lord heal, just being in an environment where they're being loved on and being fed, you know, healthy meals and, and, and encouraging. And so that heals. Yeah. That's, and that's a really practical way that I know it might sound, sound crazy to some people listening, like, wow, I, I could never up, open up my home to a stranger, or I, I, I don't have this space, but I, I truly believe that if you have the heart for it, and if you feel like you're being called into it, that God's just going to open doors, make it possible, provide in a way that says, okay, it doesn't, on paper, it doesn't seem like I would be able to do this, but I know that, like, this is what I'm being called into, and that it's a way to be able to be able to support others and i think it's so so powerful what what you shared because it is it's not an open shut thing it's not realizing that there's abuse okay well great now we can move from it that it it is such a long battle it's such a long journey so it's important to be encouraging through it uh supportive both physically, financially, if you're able, emotionally, spiritually, and just be an asset, just be in someone's corner. And really important talking about the vocab that you use and not being uh, questionable or throwing the vic the blame on the victim, but just supporting and saying, I, I will believe you, I'm here for you. And uh, I'm just, I'm choked up thinking about the, the fact of how many people go through this and that it can be right under your nose and you don't, you don't recognize it. So I think having conversations like this to be able to recognize those, those signs that this is happening and I can't even fathom dropping off the radar for, for two years, but just doing what you have to do for your well-being or for your kids and it's it's not an easy journey but i'm sure you can say that in the end it's it's always worth it and 
to get away from that situation. It's, it may be a long battle, but it's not worth it staying with that abuser, even if it's going to be hard. We, that there's, there's people, there's organizations that can help women, men get out of those situations. It's not worth it to stay in, no matter how hard the battle might be to leave. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, I'll, all relationships with an abuser end badly of some sort. They, they, you know, they have a scorched earth policy. So, so it, the longer you stay, the more unhealthy um, the victim gets because the more the abuse escalates. We know this over time that, you know, what might have started as emotional abuse or financial abuse is now has escalated over time to physical abuse and, and rape and sexual assault. And it just, you know, it, it keeps escalating as abusers you know, violate one boundary after another. And, um, and so that has a horrible, you know, devastating effect on, on the victims. We know from studies that 100% of women in domestic abuse relationships suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. 100%, and 87% of that is moderate to severe. So these are the, these are the, the results of long-term stress and trauma. So the longer you stay, the worse the worse it gets. It's horrible to get out. I'm, I I tell most of my clients this is going to be like the um, the Israelites <laughs> coming out of Egypt. You know, God's not going to change Pharaoh's heart. He's going to still stay a horrible, evil person who is uh, you know using all the resources he can to keep you there. But God does a rescue mission, and he takes us out of Egypt through a desert and into a promised land of peace and rest. And um, it is definitely worth it to get to the promised land of peace and rest. But it is a, it's a very difficult process, and the abusers will use everything they can to, to keep you in, in the abuse and in, under their control. It's really a power and control. I'm so it's glad that there's, there's, there's people like you and that because people are willing to have these kind of tough conversations much more openly, that people are able to recognize it more, that there's these, all of these wonderful organizations that are here to help people, to not judge, to, to be supportive. And I think that the, the first step in being able to help a lot of people is just the willingness to talk about this kind of stuff and, and be aware of it because it's not, it's not a light, easy conversation. It's not fun to talk about, but it's something that people need to be aware of to see the signs, to know how to help people if they do discover that this is there, or maybe just bringing up this kind of conversation will encourage someone, make them feel safe enough to talk about this or recognize this in themselves. So I'm just so thankful that you were able to make some time to, to chat with us and talk about this really important subject. And I'm so excited for, for your book. I'll put in the link and everything here so that people can check it out. And are there any other things you want to, to share rounding it off? Well, I, I just want to point out that the book also contains um, some specific things of what churches can do and what pastors can do and, and rabbis can do to help women in their congregation who are, who are seeing this because, because this is not a, something that's taught in, in seminaries and, and something that, that there's not a lot of training on. It has some specific practical steps on helping um, pastors see how they can support a victim and hold abusers accountable. It also has an entire chapter on 
steps that you shouldn't take. These are the most common steps that that churches often um, take their mistakes and and let's try to avoid those. And it, you know, it, it goes deep into what does God really say about divorce in an abusive situation and, and the spiritual weapons that you're going to need to, to, to fight this spiritual battle because it is a spiritual battle. Um, so I, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that people, that this, as you said, is a conversation that helps people of faith start this conversation and bring awareness to not only general public, but also in, in place, houses of worship and people of faith, so, so that this changes the conversation of abuse in these marriages and in, and in the church and in the synagogue, so that we can, we can hold um, abusers accountable and support the victims, as opposed to the other way around, <laughs> where, which is what typically happens, is, is that um, they side with the abuser as opposed to, uh, as opposed to supporting the victims. Yeah, well... I am so excited to get my hands on the book myself, and I will make sure that the the link to your book and to your page and everything is connected here, and just some some practical ways that people can get connected, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to this that if this really struck a nerve with you to to do a little bit of research of what in your local community, what kind of organizations there are that you can volunteer, that you can help, whether that's with your time, with your finance, with connections, and just remember to keep an open, open eyes and ears to the situations around us, to the people that we care about around us, and be that safe space for, for people during the holidays, all year round, and just make sure that people feel supported and welcome and that you are a, a safe place. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you so much. And I want to wrap up with one question. This is a fun, totally off topic question, but I love asking this to everyone that I, that I know. And it's, if you could travel to anywhere in the world, like time didn't matter, money, distance, nothing, where would you go? I think I would, I would choose Alaska. Uh, that's one place I have not been yet, and it is such a beautiful collection of God's creation that, uh, you know, still the, 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 the wild, wild west, the final frontier here, so I think that's where I, I would. I love it. You're one of the only people who has chosen to go colder when, than where they already are, to say, Chicago's <laughs> not cold enough. Let me go to Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah not, af not afraid of the cold. Growing up in Chicago, it's just part of part of what it is so. we love it it's beautiful it's just, just not six months worth of it <laughs> in, indeed indeed amazing so, well thank you yeah. so much yeah and where would you go miss charlotte okay um i i change my answers like all the time i would say right now i just have i've been doing a lot of research on african safaris and i would love to just go do a sustainable safari ideally in kenya i want to i want to fly to nairobi and there are some direct flights from jfk so it's not terrible and i want to go on an african safari i think that's that's where i would go very cool very cool It is so important to be able to have these conversations, to recognize the signs, and you never know when you might be able to help someone out in this situation. So I encourage you to check out Charlene's book, share this episode, 
and look into local shelters or organizations to see how you may be able to help. And to anyone listening who has or is currently experiencing abuse, know that you are loved, that you are not alone. There is a way out. There are many ways to get help, and you will get through this. Thank you for listening. Thank you again, Charlene, and we will see you all next time.